you know that we are that. Amen. Just a little bit to refresh your week one. We started with the recognition that the church tells us that the liturgy is the source and the summit of the Christian life, especially the Eucharist. It's the source and the summit. So if we are Christians and we want to live a full Christian life, then it is important that we both understand and enter into the liturgy, especially the Mass, in, in a profound way. Because if it's the source and the summit, then that's the core of our faith right there. Now, we said that at the liturgy, the work of our redemption is accomplished and that this can kind of shock us. Like, wait, Father, what are you saying? You're saying at Mass? That, that that's where the work of our redemption is accomplished? I thought Jesus did it on the cross. And we made that connection between Jesus' paschal mystery, his suffering, death, and resurrection, and liturgy. That Jesus connected them on purpose, which we're going to see a little bit more today for us. So that we're literally participating in that act. That Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection are present to us in the Mass, and we are present to it. And those graces are given to us. And then last week we talked about the liturgy of the Word. That the Bible is not only talking about God, but it's literally God's speech. And now when the lectors who, who just came up here and read, that when they read to us, God is speaking. It is the word of God who is speaking to us. God is speaking. The lectors are merely giving God a voice to speak his word to us. And we ask ourselves the question, well, where is the Lord? Is he speaking to me? In the scriptures, in a unique grace at Mass. And so we said, let's pray for our minds and our hearts to be open that we don't miss one word of the scriptures that is there. And then we talked about the, the road to Emmaus, that Jesus broke open that word to them and their hearts were burning and they were hungry. And so they said, Lord, stay with us. And then he celebrated Mass for them. So this leads us to the liturgy of the Eucharist. Now at the very beginning of the liturgy of the Eucharist, and again, we're just scratching the surface here with these homilies. But what happens? The gifts are brought forward. Bread and wine. Now what is bread and wine? I mean, bread is grain that has been crushed. What is wine? Wine are grapes that have been crushed. In a sense, they have died. The grain has died. The, 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 the grapes have died. And then they are brought here. They are offered on this altar. And they are meant to be a representation of our lives in a certain sense. That we too should come offering our lives. Lord, I give my life to you. And what's going to happen is they're going to come to life in a new way. They're going to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So at that time, during the, the presentation of the gifts as they're placed on the altar, all of us interiorly should be making an act of the will within our mind, within our heart, saying, Lord, I place myself on the altar with these gifts. I offer my life in union with your self-offering to the Father for the salvation of the world. We talked about that, like, what? God lets us participate in the salvation of the world at Mass. Mind-blowing, amazing, crazy gift. And then, right after that, not long after that, we sing, Holy, 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 the Sanctus. Now, this is one of those things that we sing every single Mass, so maybe some of you, maybe some of us are like, 
can, can we pick a new song, you know? Like, really? We gotta sing that every time? Why do we sing it every time? Well, because it reminds us that we are not here alone. That we are participating in the heavenly liturgy. That at mass, heaven and earth meet. In the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was given a vision of heaven. And what was present before him was God on the throne. And there were angels, the seraphim, the fiery ones. And they were singing over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Then in Revelations, St. John was given a vision, again, of heaven, the heavenly liturgy. And the Lamb is seated on the throne and he's there. And the angels and the saints are around him singing what? Holy, holy. Holy is the Lord, God of hosts. And so what the church is saying is that at this moment, we are being drawn up into the heavenly throne room. And that heaven is coming down to us. And that the angels and the saints are present. This isn't just some neat ritual that we're participating in, but it is literally a sacrament. That God is present to us in a unique way. And what's amazing is both, both the prophet Isaiah and St. John, when they hear that, when they see that image, they fall to the ground. What do we do right after that? We fall to our knees in recognition that the holiness of God is about to come in a unique way through the Eucharist. And we don't kneel down just because the church is like, all right, just sounds like a good time to kneel. Just mark that down. People probably getting bored, make them do something. No, I mean, it's... it's always a meaning behind what we're doing. In Hebrews 12, the, the, the author to the letter of the Hebrews says this about the liturgy. He says, you have approached Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and countless angels in festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and God judge of all and the spirits made perfect and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. They're all connecting. We're not alone. This, this sacred moment that's happening here. Now, today at Mass, you'll see something a little different. You see the chalice, the, the, the presider's chalice is covered with a veil. You might, what is that about? It's, it's not just decoration. It's an optional thing, but it has a, a, a purpose in the sense that the church, well, the scriptures say that we, this is the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19, this is the wedding feast of the Lamb. That Jesus is offering to himself to us as the bridegroom and the church is the bride for that one flesh union that is made. So during the liturgy of the word, the chalice which represents the church is veiled. Like a bride is veiled as she enters the church for her wedding. And so the, the chalice represents the church, the three theological virtues. The base is faith, which is the base of our relationship with God. The stem of the chalice is, represents hope that rises up and stretches and yearns for our Lord. And the cup of the chalice represents love, that we open a space within us to receive God himself, to be one with him in communion. And again, during the liturgy of the word, the bride is veiled. So through the scriptures, Jesus is like wooing the bride, like, come, come. I want to consummate this marriage with you. So as the liturgy of the Eucharist begins, the bride is unveiled 
for the moment of, of, of uniting with the bridegroom that is coming in the Holy Eucharist. Then we begin to sing right after the Holy, 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 Hosanna. What, is, what does that come from? It comes from the, the Psalms when they would be singing this psalm when the king would enter into the temple and they sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. And if you remember Palm Sunday, that scripture is Jesus is going into Jerusalem to offer his life for us. They're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of the David. And they lay the palm branches before him. So when, when the bread and wine are brought up, what are we singing? Come, save us. Hosanna, son of David. And Jesus that day rode in on a donkey, a very humble thing. We are saying he is going to come in and ride on bread and wine. Another very humble thing as he enters the temple of our hearts. So Lord, come and save us. Then we enter into the Eucharistic prayer. I could talk about the Eucharistic prayer for probably five hours. Okay, We're not going to do that today. But very profoundly, the priest, as he's praying, he calls forth the Holy Spirit. Come. And then in the second Eucharistic prayer, which is one of the ones we use, we hear this interesting thing now. The Spirit come like the dew fall. And be like, Father, why are you talking about dew at Mass? I mean, it's just a little weird, awkward. Because in the Old Testament, the manna, the miraculous bread from heaven in the desert, would come with the fall of the dew. And so it's this connection between the Eucharist, which is the miraculous bread from heaven, and Jesus says the new manna with the old manna. As we're journeying through this desert to the promised land in heaven, God gives us miraculous bread, our daily bread, which is his very body, blood, soul, and divinity. And then if you remember from the first homily, when Jesus, or the, God connected salvation from slavery in Egypt to a liturgy, he told them to do five things at the Passover. Procure an unblemished lamb, slaughter the lamb, sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, consume the lamb, eat it with the unleavened bread, and then do this in memory of me. And so Jesus, at the, when we read it, the words of institution is what's happening at the Last Supper. And so what does he do the night before he's crucified? He tells his disciples, go and prepare the Passover supper. And what does he say? I have longed. I've longed, like a bridegroom longs for his bride, to celebrate this with you. And so they go and they prepare the Passover. But any Jewish person who would have been there, which most of them were, they're like, um, Jesus, I know, you know your dad Joseph was a good, he was a good fella and all, um, but he obviously didn't teach you the Passover very well because there's no lamb. No lamb, no Passover. The lamb was sacrificed as an offering for us, like we deserve to die because of our sin, but the lamb dies in our place and we consume it. So at the Last Supper, there's no lamb. And then Jesus says something really interesting. He takes the unleavened bread and he says, this is my body. And all the Jews who would have been at that and be like, time out, <laughs> what are you talking about? Where is the body of the lamb? This is what we're supposed to consume. Then he takes the chalice and he says, this is my blood of the new and everlasting covenant. You know the covenant with Moses? That was the, the old covenant. This is the new and everlasting covenant. And it's not the blood of the lamb, it is my blood. 
And it's not going to be sprinkled on the doorpost, but you're going to consume it on the doorpost of this, this human temple, which God will reside. And another thing that happens is after they sing the Hallel Psalm, after the third cup of blessing, Jesus leaves. And it would be like, um, Jesus, we're not done. There's the cup of consummation, the last one, where are you? But Jesus says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you, my Father in the heavenly kingdom. And so Jesus, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, they capture him, he's scourged, they take him out, they crucify him, and a couple of times they offer him wine and he says no. Until just before his last breath, they offer him wine on what? A hyssop branch, the same branch that was used to spread the blood on the posts of the doors of the first Passover. And when Jesus consumes this wine, he says, it is finished. And in Latin, consummatum est, the cup of consummation is here. And so they know and they see, oh my goodness, Jesus is the new lamb. John the Baptist actually said that when we first met Jesus. Behold the lamb of God. We thought it was crazy, but it is him. And what's interesting, at that time at the temple, all the Jews would come to sacrifice their lambs in Jerusalem at the temple. And when they would sacrifice the lamb, they would catch the blood, they put it in a gold or silver basin, and spread it on the altar. Then they would take the lamb and they would drive a wooden stake from its head all the way down its spine to its tail. And they would drive another stake across its front legs so it literally looked crucified. So they would bring it home and roast it that way. So all, I mean, this imagery would be happening as they're looking up at Christ crucified and going, whoa, he's the lamb. He is the one who's taking away the sins of the world. And so we say that. The priest holds up the Holy Eucharist. We take the words of John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And blessed are those who are called to what? The supper of the Lamb. This wedding feast where God is uniting himself to us. And we express, we take the words of centurion. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But only say the word and my soul shall be healed. When we come to celebrate mass, we participate in our own redemption. It is both a sacrifice offered for us. It is both us as the body of Christ uniting our sacrifice with Christ and it is a sacred meal, a wedding banquet where we get to consume the Lord, where the two become one flesh as in marriage. Brothers and sisters, let us pray for the grace ever more deeply to know, to love, and to understand the Holy Mass that all that God is offering to us we may receive be transformed ever more deeply. So together, we give thanks. We give thanks for these words and this reality. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb.